Hello, my sweet listeners. Um, guess who is kind of feeling sick? I don't know if you can tell from my voice. It's a little bit more rustic, a little bit sexier than usual. Um, I've lost my voice. That's like the only sickness I'm feeling, like just my throat being fucked over. So I'm really hoping that I've just lost my voice and that I'm not actually sick because I'm going on vacation on Friday. We're recording this Monday. And I've been looking forward to this vacation for like over a year. It is a vacation that I've been talking about to everyone I know about how excited I am about it. Like if I don't go, something drastic is going to (laughs) happen. No, no, it's not going to be that serious, but like I'll be really, really sad. Um, My birthday is also coming up at the end of the month and it would be a really rude awakening to my Saturn return. If you believe in that, if you're into astrology, I learned recently-ish that a Saturn return is like on your 27th birthday or around that time in your life, you're just going to be tested to the gods. Like something's going to, something major is going to happen to you and your life is going to get shooken up, but for the better. So hoping that my Saturn return doesn't come sooner than later. Okay. So the bulk of what I wanted to talk about today um, is fashion week and I've been a little busy. That's probably why I'm sick, right? Because I always get sick after fashion week. It's just one of those beautiful things that happens to me when you're in like super spreader type of rooms. It's just very common. I have never been able to come out of fashion week unscathed. New York fashion week, I should say. Fashion week is still going on. I guess by the time this comes out, it'll be like the last day of fashion week, the 13th. Um, And babes, I'm just tired. I feel like I can't keep doing this. (laughs) I've only been doing it for three years. Okay. It's just a recap of things that I went to. I went to four shows this season. I went to Grace Lang, who is this new designer. It was her first debut show. I really, really loved it. She used a lot of metallic work. It kind of reminded me of Scaparelli, um, but it was way more like matrixy. It reminded me kind of like of that Angelina Jolie 90s movie. I think it's called Gia. Just a more futuristic. I actually haven't seen that movie. (laughs) It's just like my impression of what would be the costumes in that movie. Kind of like Fifth Element-esque. Definitely very sleek. A little bit of Star Wars. I'm sorry, Grace, if you heard that and you're not vibing with that review. But um, yeah, just like a lot of black fabrics, a lot of silver gleaming metalwork. And yeah, I really, I, I did really enjoy it. And then three shows I went to on the same day which were Palomo Spain, Dauphinette, and Dion Lee. In Palomo Spain, I went to their show last year, loved it, loved the show also. I think Alejandro, he's the designer of Palomo, Alejandro Palomo. A lot of his collections lean more into historical references, which you know I love. It was a very romantic collection. Also, the theme surrounded flowers, and there were these really cute rose purses that I would die to get my hands on. I don't know how much they're going to be sold for, but yeah, I thought it was a beautiful show. It was in the terrace room in the Plaza Hotel. The Plaza, if you don't know, is where they shot Eloise. They shot, was Eloise a 3D, a live action? I feel like Eloise was a live action. I don't know if they, okay, well, it started as a book. Um, Eloise takes place in the Plaza Hotel and it's this gorgeous room. It felt very much like I was at Paris Fashion Week with just how elaborate the setup was. There were all these bouquets of roses everywhere. It was very opulent. 
totally matched the collection. I also like that Alejandro designs a lot of these kind of feminine pieces for male model proportions. Most of his models are male models. And unfortunately, that means like I can't really wear his clothing because they suit taller people. But I I think it is a really important niche to tap into because there are a lot of women, men, gender, queer people who do love this kind of like feminine silhouettes but who don't have that many clothing options because a lot of these gender neutral brands tend to skew more towards like monochromatic sweatsuits which is fine I guess but obviously not everyone's taste so um love Alejandro for that. Dauphinette I also know the designer Olivia Chang. She I don't know if she's done a show before. I went to her presentation a couple times um but the show was really cute. It was in the Georgia Room in the Friedman Hotel, I believe it's called. So it was not like a huge venue, but it was really quaint and they had these live musicians playing. It was a little dark. That was like my only complaint probably because it was harder to see the dis- the the actual clothes when I was looking at my photos and video footage later. In person, I could see it fine. Um, But she combines a lot of interesting textiles. She created a dress one year that had a bunch of spoons in it. So her design ethos like kind of skews more couture, but I would still like love to wear anything that she designs like on the regular. I have a couple pieces from her. I have this bag uh, that is shaped like a foot but in a cute way. It's like she, it has a Mary Jane shoe on it. I definitely posted a photo of it before. It's two-dimensional. It's not like <laughs> gross. I'm sorry. That sounded so weird. She had like a foot. And I also have this like floral chain mail-esque top. Um, both things I got at the sample sale. So they were heavily discounted, but I really just like love her work. Um, And unfortunately, I do have to give back that football bag that I posted on Instagram that I love so dearly. That was something that she designed as well. And then the final show that I went to was Dion Lee. That was crazy. That was one of the bigger shows that I've gone to in New York. And it was, I don't even, I think it was like, I don't actually don't remember the name of the building. It was like in this like giant building space. It was very minimal, like lots of like cool lights. Um, Hari Neff was walking, which was slayful. And yeah, like Dion Lee uses a lot of corsetry in his collections. This collection in particular also utilized a lot of like construction and utilitarian elements. Like there was like this one corset that resembled the Timberland boot, which I thought was really cute. Um, There was like this one outfit. I wish I took a video of it because I usually don't take a video of the models when their back is like when they're, you know, when they walked past me, I only see the front of the outfit. But there was this one model who was holding like a bunch of cables in his hand, in his arm, like wrapped around his arm. And I was like, okay, I didn't take a video of the back. In the back, the cables led to an outlet in the back pocket of his pants. So... Yeah, that was sick. I don't really know how that works. I would love to see it um, in person at a store, I guess. But um, yeah, I had a really good time at these shows. I also went to a couple parties, but I've tapped out pretty early because of this like sickness I've been afflicted with. I just don't want to risk it by doing more than I can handle. I did not get to see any of the viral shows. Um, I didn't see coach if you didn't hear about coach they had protesters on the runway and everyone on twitter was like yes fashion is back baby because 
I don't know, I guess like in the 2000s, there were a lot of protests. Um, Sex in the City made a joke about it where Samantha, she's wearing a fur coat and some like animal rights protester splashes paint on her. And instead of being like, oh my gosh, she's like, oh, like I love New York. <laughs> but yeah, the people were protesting coach for um, leather, leather bags. And then the other show that I saw recently okay i'm adding this in by the way like i'm recording this edition on tuesday because i realized i didn't like talk about the shows and i didn't want to be part of the problem where i only talk about influencers so i'm giving a rundown of the shows right and earlier tonight elena velez she did a show for new york fashion week where the models were like covered in mud and fighting each other at the end like they did their walk so you could see the collection but then they like rolled around in mud which was interesting I mean, for me personally, I felt like it was kind of a cheap little trick to kind of add virality to the show because a lot of the times when it comes to like theatrics that go along with the show, I ask myself, what was the point? And I could not figure out what was the point, what was the point for doing this other than to scandalize the audience by having these beautiful clothes covered in mud. I don't know, like, feel free to disagree with me on that. I just felt like it was kind of silly one theatric uh that i did like i didn't go to the show either but it was kalina estrada it's a new york-based brand kalina is not actually her name but she had all the models do these like fake smiles on the runway which i thought was cool because it didn't take over the show like it wasn't like so distracting from the clothes and it wasn't it didn't feel gimmicky it just felt like a little a little commentary about the way that models are kind of forced to appear in this world and how even like, you know, women are forced to sort of appear in the fashion space. Um, so I thought that was like a nice little touch that she had the models do. I guess my previous ethos for going to fashion week was that I really just like want to do as, um, as much as possible, but I'm kind of glad that I've tapped out early because it really is exhausting. Um, this feeling like of having to go to events of having to do things because you feel like you'll get FOMO if you stay at home, especially because a lot of my friends, they like document their whole fashion week on Instagram and on TikTok. So, you know, if I'm like sitting at home and I wasn't invited to that event, I'm like, oh my God, I'm missing like the party of the century, which they never are, by the way. Um, I don't think I felt that way about a party in a really, really, really long time. And because I'm recovering now, I feel like I fully cocooned myself and felt happy about cocooning myself because it feels like I have a legitimate excuse to be doing that rather than, you know, just being super healthy and lying in my bed and scrolling on my phone, like seeing that I missed events. You know, it's like there's a justification where I'm like, oh, I, I wasn't invited. But, you know, if even if I was invited, like I couldn't go. <laughs> but I don't know. I think Fashion Week has just like always been tiring. And I think the older I get, the more like disillusioned I am by the whole thing. I think for people who are not in the fashion industry, they really perceive Fashion Week as this like super glamorous week um, because a lot of celebrities come in, a lot of like these massive influencers are like vlogging day in their lives, going to events, wearing designer clothes, um, going to these cool parties. And you're only going to get like the positive snippets of it. You're not going to get any of the reality, which is like, yeah, those things do happen for some people, but also like 
a lot of people are stressed out and there's like this atmosphere of stress that lingers throughout the entire week. And so even at events, like I've had experiences at these events where people are just rude, not necessarily like celebrities or influencers. Like I have no tea on that, but just like people that I've just come across, like people who I'm stuck in an elevator with on my way out, people in lines. Like, I guess that's not surprising. Anytime anyone has to wait in line, they're mad. But I think it's like the added stress of fashion week, the added rat race of fashion week. The fashion industry just like constantly feels like a hierarchy. And I think fashion week is when you see that hierarchy most visibly. Celebrities are treated like first-class citizens, of course. Influencers, it depends if they're big or not. Like Alex Earl, for sure, treated like a first-class citizen. Um, Micro-influencers, not so much. Kind of viewed as like annoying. By the way, this is just from the POV. This is like my imagined POV of someone who works regularly in the fashion industry. And they might be annoyed with like celebrities or like massive influencers, but at the end of the day, Fashion Week has really transformed into like a numbers game. And so that's why these like really big people get treated with so much reverence because the people working for these PR companies, the people working for these brands, they really want this celebrity or influencer to promote this brand on their social medias. So they're really catering to them hand and foot so that they'll leave with a good experience and post about it. Unless they're contractually obligated to post about it, if they're getting paid to be in attendance, then the brand really reveres them and really wants to continue working with them usually. Um, And that's also why they like treat them really nicely to like sort of build this like positive relationship between the brand and the person. It really is a marketing game at the end of the day. I know every fashion week that comes, there's always like these like viral TikToks or commentary pieces of people being like, have influencers ruined fashion week? And I'm here to add my take. (laughs) I'm going to add on to that commentary because look, the fashion industry has changed a lot since like the early 2000s. And obviously that's with social media. But even before, like, Instagram was really popular, like, back in, like, the late 2000s, like, around 2008, 2009, when fashion bloggers were taking over front row seats from editors, they were getting shit on, too. And now it's, like, influencers, like, TikTok influencers are the ones sitting front row, and they're getting shit on by people who are, like, oh, my God, like, the fashion bloggers should sit there. (laughs) So... It's been a gradual transformation over the years that isn't surprising given how the fashion industry has changed and shifted in all forms. Like I said, it's all a numbers game. It's all a marketing game. Influencers, previously fashion bloggers, they bring in money. They bring in viewership to the show. They basically give free promo because a lot of the times they're not getting paid to sit there. And they also work as like models because a lot of the times the brands or PR agencies will try to facilitate like front row guests to be wearing the brand um, as like a form of marketing, but also uh, allegiance, brand allegiance. And also it works out because then, you know, as a viewer scrolling through your social media, you're like, oh my God, they look so good. I wonder like where I can buy this outfit given that you have the money for it. So they're kind of like models as well. 
So I recently graduated from a two-year acting conservatory, so obviously when I got my masterclass subscription, I had to take the acting class with Helen Mirren. She's one of the greatest actresses of our time, and I was so interested to hear her tricks of the trade. With masterclass, you can learn from the best to become your best, anytime, anywhere, and at your own pace. Annual memberships start at $10 a month, and you get unlimited access to every instructor, thousands of online lessons, exclusive content, insights, and much more. There are over 180 classes to pick from, everything from modeling fundamentals with Naomi Campbell to wilderness survival with Jesse Krebs, with new classes added every month. The Helen Mirren class I took I found really helpful and interesting when she talked about breaking down a Shakespeare script and how she translates the poetry into her own words to understand the meanings better. Whether you want to advance your career, start a passion project, or just learn a new skill, Masterclass has you covered. And you can gain new skills in as little as 10 minutes either on your phone, computer, tablet, smart TV, and even audio mode to listen on the go. I like watching a lesson or two when I'm done with work for the day, but I don't want to just scroll through social media like a sloth. It makes me feel really productive and the classes are fun and entertaining too. The amount of money it costs to take one class from these instructors would be insane, but with a masterclass annual membership, it'll only cost you $10 a month. Get unlimited access to every class, and right now, as a highbrow listener, you can get 15% off when you go to masterclass.com slash Mina. That's masterclass.com slash Mina for 15% off an annual membership. Masterclass.com slash Mina. And then I think the reason why there are way more influencers than celebrities that come to New York Fashion Week is because a lot of celebrities don't care about fashion um, because a lot of celebrities are not related to fashion. Like they're actors, they're singers, they're athletes. These are people who do not work in the fashion industry. Some of them may have brand ambassadorships and connections in that way. But again, it's like for money, usually. Like they're not trying to go to every show because they just don't care to see the collections in that way. And that's fine. I'm not like trying to demonize that. I'm just saying like the reality is that like a lot of famous people don't actually care about fashion. And if you're a really rich celebrity, it's like, why would you waste your time going to all these events, filling your day up like with this when you can just like, I don't know, relax at home in your mansion and I guess attend the US Open as in the case with Kylie and Timothy Chalamet. I did see the US Open TikTok zooming in on the two of them sitting there. Okay, sidebar, I'm like not mad about it. I know a lot of people are like, oh my God, like Timothy deserves so much better. And I'm like, why? Like, why do you think that? Because he's an actor and because Kylie's like, I say this in the best possible way because I am technically an influencer. Kylie's like a glorified influencer. The Kardashians like started out as influencers and then blew up to celebrity status. That's the reality of the situation. I'm not angry about it. And, you know, everyone has a different pathway to success. Kylie is a very successful woman. She has her own makeup brand. She is a fairly good model and she makes a ton of bread. People love to work with her. Actually, this just ties in to the entire uh, conversation point that I had. But, you know, okay, let me just like keep talking about Timothy Chalamet and Kylie for a second. I like Timothy Chalamet's work. I think he's actually a really good actor. I don't know anything about him. I've never come across him in person on the street. I've never interacted with him. I don't know what he does for fun. I like really, I don't know this man. Sorry to this man. Who is he? And I would say the majority of the people on the internet who are giving this commentary about his relationship, they don't know him either and they don't know Kylie either. And I think it's like really weird to put a shiny veneer on a male celebrity 
that you happen to like the work of and project all these ideas about his character and like what he likes in a woman. The main argument that people seem to make is they think like Kylie Jenner is dumb. I don't know her, but clearly the two of them have something in common. They have something to talk about. And if they don't, then I guess they're like just both really shallow people. And I feel like that speaks volumes about their personalities as well. But at the end of the day, I don't think anyone is better than another person. Um, And I think that like anyone who thinks that way has to really consider the kind of metrics they use when they're judging a couple for that, because usually it's misogynistic. Okay, I'm cutting in here to say also, um, I do want to recognize that like, I think Kylie and the Kardashian clan, they are responsible for a lot of negative body image issues that have come up that do affect like women. And I'm not trying to defend them for perpetuating those things. But I think two things can be true. Like I think they can be culpable of perpetuating negative standard body standards that affect like feminism as a widespread issue and they can also be subject to like misogynistic press um and just like as an example like i feel a lot of female celebrities are held to the standard where they are supposed to carry the sins of their male partners that they're in relationships with For instance, Taylor Swift, when she was dating Maddie Healy, she got under so much fire by her fans because of Maddie Healy's history of being racist, of saying like really abhorrent things, of being like an edgelord, basically. Taylor Swift like did carry some of the brunt for that. But when we look at like Timothy and Kylie, I would say Kylie has said a lot of crazy things. I don't necessarily know if she's like racist or anything, but Timothy has not been put in a negative light for whatever Kylie has said. He has like not had to carry any of that because people have this uwu understanding that he's been like brainwashed by Kylie in some way, that she like snatched him up like some cougar, even though she's younger than him. It's just weird to me under those circumstances. And now I'm gonna segue back to my main point, which is I think also Kylie doesn't get a lot of respect um, because people don't believe that the Kardashians do anything versus with actors or other types of celebrities, like musicians, athletes. It's like they're clearly doing, quote unquote, something that we can see tangibly as a talent. I think there's also this conundrum that when you have made a lot of money as a woman, as the Kardashians have, people also assume that you have a lot of help or like other people are doing your work and you're just sort of the face of the company, of the brand. Um, I'm not saying that Kylie or Kim or like any of the Kardashians are, you know, really grinding out and hustling for their companies. Again, like I don't know anything, but I just think the, the narrative is that People believe they hire out all these people and they don't actually lift a finger for anything. Whereas any kind of like male billionaire, multimillionaire is seen as being someone who is that entrepreneur who really did make a name for himself. Whereas a lot of the times these men are also just sitting on their ass doing nothing. Like they hire out people to do their jobs for them. That is like the reality for a lot of executives in these big companies. And similarly, I think a lot of people hate influencers because they see them as these girls most of the time who are doing nothing, who are contributing nothing valuable and who get all these free gifts and who get all this money. And a lot of the times I think it does come from jealousy, but I think also it's like not understanding the work. 
behind it. And before anyone twists my words, no, I don't think that influencing is harder than a lot of jobs out there. Like I really, I, I think on the tier of job difficulty, it is not high ranking. It is not like heart surgeon, like first responder shit. It's not even like customer service level. It's definitely not farming level. Like, you know what I mean? There's definitely harder jobs out there, even for the influencer who hustles the most. But I think the influencer job, it ranges in difficulty from like being really not difficult to being like an entrepreneur or being like a businesswoman because a lot of influencers do treat their jobs or their accounts, their social media accounts as like business product or business service. And so you have to constantly be pitching it, constantly be emailing people for collaborations, constantly be like engaging with your audience, um, tracking analytics and numbers, seeing, making note of like what content is sticking, what content isn't, coming up with ideas for that content, um, et cetera. And then depending on the type of influencer you are, then the cadence of having to create content usually is very frequent. If you're a TikToker or an Instagrammer, for instance, like you really have to be posting every day to get on the good side of the mysterious algorithm. For YouTube, I think like the positive thing is that people don't expect you to come out with a 20 minute video every couple days because that would be insane. And so the overall like cadence of the platform is a lot slower versus I think with Instagram and TikTok because theoretically it doesn't take that long to shoot a 60 second video or take a couple photos. There's an expectation for you to be posting every day. Even if the reality is that it is kind of like mentally taxing for you to have to keep coming up with like new video ideas to do every single day, especially with Instagram now they prioritize reels so much that you kind of need to be posting videos if you want to be blowing up on that platform. So all of this is to say that I do understand the struggle. And I think that a lot of influencers don't necessarily capture that struggle because they're one, socially aware enough to know that their job is still covetable and that people don't want to hear about them not enjoying doing what they do. And the other reason is that the boring stuff is really boring. Like I've had a couple of friends who are like wanting to film their day in a life. And a lot of the times their day in a life, they'll pick a day when they're going to a lot of events or something because that's more engaging with for an audience when a lot of the days it's like them typing on their computer like all day long. Even for me, I don't know. Again, like I don't really know what category I fall under because I don't like do a lot of normal influencing work, but I built a following on social media. So sometimes like the influencer label just like gets applied to anyone who does that. I don't really care about the semantics behind it personally, but for me, like most of my job is behind a computer, but I was doing this like story takeover for this magazine and I had to like fill up my day. Like I was like looking for events to do because I was like, no one wants to see this day in my life, even though this is the reality of my day for most days. I promise this all links back to fashion week, but I just like wanted to preface like our understanding or what I think everyone's understanding of influencer work is because it leads into the reaction that people have towards like seeing influencers at fashion week. But, you know, just want to clarify because I really hate, I am like, I am part of the problem. Like I really don't like when influencers are complaining about their work on social media because it is so self-induced. 
when I decided I was taking like a little bit of a break on YouTube, it's not even like that long of a break when I think about it because some of my colleagues, which is like how I refer to other video essays, they sometimes like wait like months in between videos and not necessarily because they're taking a break, but because it takes that long to um, have time to do the research because they're, you know, doing other things. But yeah, I don't know. I just like feel like really deeply uncomfortable because I don't want to come across as like complaining about my job. There are definitely times when it's hard and it's stressful or whatever, but at the end of the day, it's so self-induced. Like I could quit at any point in time, theoretically, and just get another job if I really didn't like it that much. And I think when a lot of people complain about their jobs, like usually they're venting or they're ranting. So they're not going to bring up the positives. And it just comes across as like really unappreciative of what they're doing because it is like kind of this new dream to work for yourself. Not for everyone, but for a lot of people, like that is what they would rather do. And so to hear someone who's living that kind of dream or whatever, and then still like choosing to spotlight the negative parts of it instead of being appreciative. Like, I don't know. I can see why that feels really icky or cringe to a lot of people. Of course, a job is a job. So by nature, there's always going to be downsides because when we have to work, (laughs) working does take the fun out of a passion project sometimes. Like the minute you start monetizing things, I feel like that's when it gets a little, you have to start setting boundaries for yourself to still enjoy what you're doing or else you just feel like a machine. So I'm not denying that. It can be hard to have any kind of job, but I also think that like, I don't know, part of the reason why influencers have lost that relatability is that when they do complain, they complain about things like through their own very myopic view of the world. And I think when you've built your platform on being relatable, which is what a lot of these like influencers have done, the minute you become unrelatable, people really retaliate against it because they feel like they don't know you anymore. They like You've lost the plot. You've lost that connection that bonded you to your audience. Um, I think it is kind of like a sad, unrealistic expectation because obviously like the bigger you become as an influencer, the more brand deals come in, the more luxury PR, the more money you get. And those all catapult you into a realm of being unrelatable. I think there's been kind of a shift though that a lot of popular influencers like um, Alex Earl and I don't know, I'm about to call Sophia Richie Grange an influencer. I don't know how people will respond to that. But, you know, like these girls they live lavish lifestyles. They were born into money and they've kind of always documented their lavish lifestyle. So I think them continuing to get richer and continuing to do more rich people things doesn't alienate their audience because their audience liked them to begin with because they represented something aspirational. They weren't really relatable ever. Is it a bit of a double standard? I don't know. I think it's just one of those things that When people decide to follow you, they like you for who you are in that moment. And some people will enjoy watching this person like develop and grow over time, but others won't. And I don't think anyone's at fault here because obviously if you're getting bigger and you're getting all these opportunities, you'd be a fool to say no. Anyone would be. And then if you're an audience member who's like followed this person because they made a college student life content and then that person 
drops out of school to become a big celebrity. Like it's not unreasonable to not vibe with their content anymore because you followed them for school content and they're not there anymore. <laughs> so I don't know. I think that's the catch 22 of the whole influencer dumb environment. Now going back to fashion week, I think a lot of people within the fashion industry feel a certain way about influencers because they are getting displaced by influencers. So I have some friends who are fashion writers and they'll literally be tasked to cover the show, but then they'll be moved to like standing room area where it's really hard for them to see what's actually happening in the show. Because the way that a lot of these fashion shows work is there's multiple rows and then sometimes there's a standing area too. I did not go to any shows prior to the pandemic because the only reason I go to shows now is because I'm a YouTuber and I didn't start my channel till 2020. So I don't know from firsthand experience what it was like before 2020, but from what people told me, there were usually like three to four rows. In 2021, kind of like when the fashion industry started coming up again, there were only one to two rows. And I remember talking to people because I was invited to these shows now and they were like, yeah, space is a lot more limited than it used to be and not as many people can get into these shows as they could in the past. Now, I don't know. I think the shows that I have been to have still stuck with like a one to two row situation, but I don't want to speak for like every show because I've also gone to less shows um, this season. But anyway, like the original front row were fashion journalists, like editors, um, buyers, people like valued customers who buy a lot from the brand, like people who actually do want to see the clothes up close because they're either writing about it or they are actually going to purchase it. Nowadays, um, front row is mostly like celebrities and influencers because the PR agency or the in-house PR, they want to photograph these people sitting front row to show like, oh my God, like so-and-so is here supporting the brand. And that is now used as marketing. I think because I am a quote unquote, I guess, fashion influencer, like I am in the fashion space, I do like to take recordings or I like to take photos of the show. I was also doing a Teen Vogue takeover. So I was like kind of on duty to record footage for them. So I'm someone who does like prefer having a good seat if I can have it because, you know, I need to be able to see what's going on so I can take footage. And writers who are going to cover the show, obviously, like, they want to see, they want to see up close like what is going on so they can like write about it in the most informed way. A lot of people who sit in front row though, like they'll probably take like one to two pictures and that's it. Or they might not take any pictures and that's fine too. But I can definitely see how it's frustrating for a lot of writers to be displaced in that way because it's like I actually have to do this for work and I'm not getting a good view. Meanwhile, like you see all these people sitting front row and I'm not going to lie. There are a lot of influencers who don't really care about fashion, but will go for the clout because I think there is still that kind of like exclusivity rep for the fashion industry, despite how democratized it's become. And so it's kind of prestigious to get invited to these shows and they'll go for the photograph of them being at the show, but then I'll see like a lot of them, they're kind of texting throughout the whole show. They're not really paying attention. 
And yeah, that's frustrating. I can see why that's frustrating for people who actually work like full-time in the industry because the reality of the industry is that it's really fucking hard work. Um, I don't know if you've come across the Vogue Business series. They posted a bunch of articles titled Under the Headline, Debunking the Dream. And it's about talking about the fashion industry and the business behind it and what it's like to actually work in there. It's really informative. I highly recommend it for anyone who's considering working full-time in fashion. Also, it's open access, which we love, so anyone can read it. It's free. I mean, a lot of what they say in the article is that it's just like not well-paying for the kind of expectations and the kind of challenges that you have to face and the kind of like always-on culture that the fashion industry perpetuates. There's this one quote by journalist Aya Noel she said, fashion in particular is driven by the idea that there's only space for a talented few. You're either successful, widely revered, validated socially, and making enough money to live the glamorous lifestyle you interact with every day, or you're someone serving that talent. Everyone has accepted there is inequality, so you'd rather be at the top than the bottom. I totally agree with this, and I also think that's why the industry is so competitive because you just think like, oh, if I work this much harder, if I go to every event, if I like network the fuck out of everything, then I will be at the top someday. And the struggle that you have at the bottom, it will be there probably unless you come in as a nepotism baby or you come in already wealthy or you come in as an influencer. Um, the reality is a lot of people do have to start at the bottom and it's kind of just like, who will get out of there first? Looking for a more sustainable way to update your closet this fall? Look no further than Newly, a subscription clothing rental service that lets you try out new styles without having to fully commit. For just $98 a month, you get a choice of any six styles each month. And the selection is huge. There's thousands of styles from more than 400 brands, including some of my favorite small brands like Naya Rea and Kim Shui, as well as Newly's own vintage selection. And sizes offered go up to 5X plus petite and maternity. A renting service is a great service to try if you want to try out a new style, but are afraid to fully commit or are looking for a special piece that you know you're only going to wear once or twice. Newly has fast free shipping and returns as well as professional cleaning so you don't have to worry about laundry. Orders are also shipped in recycled, recyclable, and reusable totes with no plastic packaging. And if you really love the clothes, there's an option to buy with discounts up to 70% off. Newly is a great value at $98 a month for any six styles, but right now you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code MINA20. Just go to N-U-U-L-Y.com, that's Newly with two U's, and enter the code MINA20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y.com, Newly with two U's, with code MINA20. Newly subscription clothing rental. Change your clothes. For me personally, I would not get the opportunities I have if I didn't do YouTube. So I'm so grateful for that because beforehand I was doing these fashion internships that were so bad and I've talked about it a couple times here and there. It's I was a styling assistant for a little bit, which sucked because, I don't know, in New York City especially it sucks because you're hauling around garment bags on subways and you're underpaid and you're kind of expected to work like 12 hours a day and you're on call basically like the stylist could be like, oh, we have something tomorrow because the fashion industry is very last minute. Terrible, terrible job. I know a couple of people who've done styling assistant work and they have all hated it. It's a terrible segue into the industry, but it is a segue that's really easy for a lot of people because I didn't go to a fashion school. I didn't go to FIT. I didn't have like professor recommendations in this industry. It's just 
an industry that I always thought I was going to be in. And so without connections, styling assistant work is the easiest way to get in because stylists just need assistance constantly. Uh, the work is very manual. It's very demanding. Um, so they're always looking. They're always on the market. And you don't necessarily need to have any kind of like qualifications for it. You just need to be able to drag around garment bags because that's what most of the assistant work is. Maybe every so often you'll actually work for a stylist who cares. But for me, the only internships I did with stylists, they were not helping me further my career at all. I did no actual styling work. Literally all I did was run errands. And I just remember this like pivotal moment. This girl I was working with who was also an intern, her grandpa died and she didn't want to bring it up because she was afraid of getting blacklisted for being difficult to work with. And so she was like on the verge of a meltdown the whole day. And when I told her, I was like, your grandpa literally died. Like, I really think you should go home. Like, I can do this work for you. Like, the work will get done. Just please go home. Like, um, so she told our superior and the, the girl got so angry at her. She was like, why would you not tell me this? An abnormal reaction to have to someone's grandpa dying. I don't know. That was my... I didn't come back to work after that day. I was like, y'all are absolutely unhinged and crazy with no empathy whatsoever. I'm not saying every stylist is like that, nor is everyone in the fashion industry like that. But I do think, and what they say in this article, is that there is a reward for hustling and powering through all these challenges and difficulties. And there is a fear, whether or not that fear is justified, there is a fear that if you complain, if you don't work as hard as everyone else, if you don't show up to every single event, if you are not pulling like all-nighters, if you're not working weekends, that you will sink to the bottom and people who are willing to do that kind of work will rise to the top because the industry is so top and bottom. Noelle also said that she... So she's from the UK, but she moved home to Brussels from London a few years ago to save money. That's another thing. It's like you kind of don't have a career in fashion unless you work in like a major metropolitan city. And in New York, it's so expensive to live here and you're not getting paid enough. Like I remember when I was looking at salaries before I started YouTube, it was like $30,000 a year, $35,000 a year. Um, in New York, that's like like. It's not impossible, but it's so hard. And with that salary, it's also going to be really hard to ever think of like buying a house, like saving up to buy a house, saving up to like care for any children you might want to have in the future. Like these are not livable salaries for New York City. Anyway, I guess like Noelle was also not paid like at a great wage while working in London. So she moved to Brussels and she said she realized how many of these connections were concentrated in the capital cities. She said, I hope that going to fashion week twice a year would be enough to maintain my network, but it's not necessarily in those official spaces that it happens. You're more likely to make connections at an after party than a fashion show. Okay. For me, my take on this is that I have made lovely friends I don't even consider them as connections in, in the same kind of way because I work for myself. And luckily, I have management and I have an agency, so they find me work. So I don't really necessarily have to go into the room like shark mode, like trying to find someone who can really make moves for my career. 
Oh, just like another side note. I think a lot of people find this part of the industry to be really icky and going to fashion parties to be really icky because there are a lot of social climbers, quote unquote social climbers there. My impression of a social climber, I've been thinking about this recently. I was like, why does it feel like in these kind of artistic industries, people are brushed as being social climbers, but then if you go into like tech or any other kind of like business, STEM-related industry, people who go to events are considered as networkers, which is painted with like, you know, a a more positive brush because it's like, oh, you're just like trying to advance your career. Whereas like a social climber, it's the same thing. You're trying to advance your career, but it's like, oh, you're actually like a snake and um, you're not here for real friendships. It's so weird. I don't know why that distinction happened. Okay, anyways, like... I have met some really lovely people at fashion shows sitting next to them. I also have met a lot of people who I probably will never see again sitting front row. And it's always so funny because, you know, the the press for these shows, like they'll really try to like photograph the front row. And then, you know, sometimes the photographer will be like, okay, scooch closer, like pretend like you're friends. Like, and it's going to be this person that you have no idea who they are. And you just like take the photo for the the press of it all. But The first fashion show that I went to for my first fashion week back in 2021, I sat next to my friend who currently is still my friend, Lachlan, who is an actor. And they're in Sabrina, The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. They're really cool. And we clicked like immediately. Like they just like have like such like an an exuberant, um, bubbly kind of energy. Just super, super nice. And then I was so excited about that because I was like, oh my God, like this is what fashion shows are like. You just like meet all these really great people. Um, (laughs) Little did I know, I don't know. I think the more sceny places you go to, the more likely it is that people don't really care about you unless they know you specifically. Because that show that I went to with Lachlan, it was like a smaller designer And I've been to other like smaller designer shows, which I feel like the people who are there are actually like gung-ho about the fashion who really love to be there. I've been to shows also that are more buzzy, that invite lots of people, including celebrities. And I feel like some of the people who go there are just really bitchy. (laughs) And not everyone, but I think it, I kind of enter a room and I'm like, oh, y'all are like, only here to talk to people who you think are cool. And if you are seated next to someone who you don't know, you're not interested in talking to them, which I think is like pretty foul because it's like you're seated next to each other. It's like at this point, it's weird if you are both on your phones. And justice for introverts, I understand not everyone wants to have a conversation, but there is like a certain vibe you get from someone who doesn't want to talk to you specifically versus someone who just like doesn't want to talk, period. It's very distinct. It's very easy to tell for me. And I've seen both of that at shows. In saying all this, I do think it's easier to make connections during daytime events, um, not to like, you know, deny Noelle of her experience. But I find that with nightlife, people tend to kind of cling to their own social groups because it is more of like a explicitly social function. And so I think unless you are a generally pretty extroverted, pretty charismatic person, then it is harder to make new connections at these kind of nightlife events, at least for me, because I always find it's weird 
to like infiltrate a group of people talking. Like, I don't know. I'm just like uncomfortable. Maybe that's like my own, that's my own issues, but I always feel like they don't want to talk to me and that I'm just like interrupting something that's important. I just get in my head about it. So I don't do it. Versus I think like during the daytime, during these like actual fashion shows, it's really clear the line between business and pleasure, right? Nightlife events, like people are drinking, there's entertainment, they're with their friends. I'm like, are you here for business? Are you here for pleasure? Fashion shows, I'm like, this is business. Um, There is some pleasure in watching the show, but like there's like no alcohol, like people don't usually go with their friends because invites are more selective. There's assigned seating. It just feels like this is the place to make a new friend because you probably don't know anyone who's there. Or maybe you do if you're really well connected. I'm just speaking from my own personal experience. The downside though is that for a lot of people who are in fashion, they're going to multiple events. So they might not want to linger after the show is over. Um, and they might even come to the show late. So definitely like the pool of people to talk to is smaller, but I think that it's easier to make an impression on someone new versus at a nightlife event. It's like, it's dark. People are running around. I don't know what they're consuming. I don't know if they'll remember my name. (laughs) Like, (laughs) and I also think people are in a more foul mood at nightlife events. I'm not going to lie. I have been having issues with nightlife because I find that they're more disorganized because more people want to go to nightlife stuff. And it makes sense. Um, There was a Dion Lee party that I was thinking about going to, but then I ended up not going to, and Ice Spice was performing. And then, of course, like there's always an open bar. If you're really lucky, at least for me as someone who loves food, there might be some catering. (laughs) But the prestige or the so-called prestige of these nightlife events makes it really hard to get into, even if you are on the guest list, even if you are invited. Because what I find is that these PR agencies, they always invite more people than can fit in the room. So there inevitably always is a line and people get annoyed by being in the line. Of course, if you have a connection to the PR person or if you're a celebrity, you can cut that line, which makes the line longer for people who have been waiting there without um, an extra connection. And it's just like a little bit miserable. And I feel like anytime I've ever had to wait in line, I've never enjoyed the event so much to justify that line. So now usually if I see a line, I just go home. (laughs) Not to be like super lame. I don't know. I'm just like, I am 26 years old now. And I feel that my grandma tendencies are coming out full force. If there's a line, I know I'm not going to get in for like another hour or so. If I even get in, because sometimes they'll just say like, oh, sorry, we're not taking any more people in. And you just waited in line for no reason. And especially with fashion week, like I know I probably have something the next morning. So it's just never worth it for me. I've been feeling that kind of energy with a lot of my friends. Actually, I just know of a lot of people who are like, oh, I'm taking it easy this fashion week. Like I'm not going to any nightlife events this fashion week because I think there is a repetition about it that even for me, I've only been in this for three, four seasons now, but it gets exhausting. And you always see the same people mostly because um, New York Fashion Week, I think is still pretty local as in a lot of people who live in New York go to the events, but I wouldn't say like a lot of people who don't live in New York go to these events. I think Paris Fashion Week is definitely way more prestigious. I think definitely a lot more people fly in for that. A lot more celebrities fly in for that. 
my whole thing with New York Fashion Week is that I was always going to try to go to as many things as possible because I live here. So it's no sweat off my back, really. I'm not paying for an extra hotel. I'm not flying myself out. Like I live here, so I might as well go. And I think that's the case for a lot of people. And so, I don't know, at a certain point, you're kind of like, okay, I don't need to go to this event again. That's going to be so similar to the event I went to last night or even in the same event that I went to last month. I think collectively, a lot of people in the fashion industry are kind of tired of the nightlife events also being held at like the same three locations. <laughs> you would think that in New York City, they have an abundance of bars and restaurants and cool places. They would really try to like diversify where the events are. But um, half of the events are in the Boom Boom Room, which is in the top of the standard hotel in Chelsea or meatpacking. I really don't know where the line the line designations are. Chanel did an activation though for, I think that it was like their beauty stuff. They did an activation at a diner in Brooklyn and they have really like built it all out and that was pretty cool. I didn't go, I wasn't invited. But from what I saw the photos of, that was interesting. So I think like fashion shows, they tend to be interesting in the types of venues that they pick out. But for the parties, the after parties later, they don't get as um, inventive. Though, okay, another reason why everyone gets so tired around fashion week is because the fashion shows are all over the place. The way that it used to be is that they would all be held by the, the tents in Bryant Park. And rumors have it, I wasn't there, so can't say for sure, but Anna Winter would go to every fashion show on the fashion calendar, which is a huge feat, by the way, because they really stack these events so that they happen like every hour. And if the show runs late, so I've been to two shows this week that started 45 minutes late. So if the show runs late, you're not getting to the next show if you've got it booked like that, because you have to take in the fact that it's going to take a while to commute between the shows. Um, I went to Sandy Liang last season and it was in this like academic building. It was a cool venue, but it was like uptown. I think it was like in Harlem. But then I've also been to shows in Brooklyn. So Loire last season, it was in Greenpoint. When I decide to go to shows, I usually try not to book shows that are back-to-back -back like that because I am an anxious person and I know that I can't enjoy myself at the show if I'm just thinking about how I'm going to miss the next one. Um, so I don't do that. But like there are people who do have back-to-back -back shows, usually like people who are editors and who work for fashion publications because they're doing, they're doing coverage. Also, let's just like briefly talk about how you even get into these shows to begin with. It's different for everyone. It's different depending on what your job is. For me, as a quote-unquote fashion influencer, um, I can write an email. I've done this myself a couple times. I'll write an email requesting a show seat. And I don't have any, like, specific database for it. I just look at the fashion calendar. I see what shows are. And I think because it's been a couple years now, I'm familiar with the different PR companies that run these shows. So um, in New York City, it's, like, Lead, Carla Otto... DLX, Lindsay Media, Gia Kwan. There's only a handful. And it's kind of word of mouth or what you know from the previous season. Usually the same brand or designer will work with the same PR agency that they did the previous year. And then obviously like if you 
know a specific person who works at the PR agency and have their specific email, that's always going to be better. Um, but I've also had success just like writing in to the general like PR agency email. I don't always get a ticket that way. Like full transparency, I've been denied to shows before. Like I've, or people have just never replied to me. Um, usually you want to send it out like one to two weeks before because if you don't, if you, the closer to the show that you send an email, the harder it is for them to accommodate you because they've already built out like their attendance sheet. They've already kind of like figured out who, who's sitting where. And so sometimes it's really like not personal. Like they just don't have room because so many people have RSVP'd already. In saying that you don't want to email them too early though, because August is notorious for being vacation month for a lot of people working in the fashion industry. So a lot of them are out of office. The sweet spot really is like one to two weeks before. Um, if you send it too early, they might forget about you or your email gets like swept under into low priority and you just like don't get followed up. So yeah, there, <laughs> there's like a whole little formula. Obviously, the more like quote unquote important you are, like the more last minute you can be. But if you are a micro influencer, you don't have a lot of established connections, um, one to two weeks is the sweet spot. I also think if you're submitting yourself for a fashion week, you should be realistic with the kind of shows you want to get into because honestly, it like saves a lot of time and headache and heartbreak if you just know from the beginning versus like trying to send an email and following up to like every single show on the calendar. There are a lot of shows that are more prestigious, more difficult to get into. Um, any like established house like Balenciaga, which I know doesn't show during New York Fashion Week, but as an example, um, Tom Brown sometimes shows in New York very difficult to get into, Tom Ford, any Tom, probably difficult to get into unless you know someone in the PR team personally. I think what's realistic is a lot of these like smaller designers, some of them don't even have a slot on the fashion calendar officially, but they are showing during New York Fashion Week. And that can be a good starting point for networking out, like building out a reputation. And also I think sometimes they can be even more fun because you're actually around people who all really want to be there, who all really love fashion. Sometimes with these bigger shows, like they have the budget to seat people front row um, who don't really have an interest in fashion, but will take a check for the, <laughs> the seat. And I also think with a lot of these like bigger shows when they do have these like celebrity or massive influencers coming through, it's really hectic, like cameras are everywhere. Um, you kind of get like shoved around in like a little tidal wave. You really get put in your place as someone who's like not an A-lister. And that can be not a fun experience, especially if you are someone budding in the fashion industry because you're really just not gonna be paid attention to. So it can be like an unwelcoming foray. All that said, the mystery of dressing, I just got an email requesting uh, to pick up <gasps> my borrowed pieces. So sad. Um, a lot of the times when you get dressed for something, you have to return it. Not always. Sometimes it's a gifting suite, so they'll let you keep it. I think with Victoria's Secret, they were letting Doja Cat keep that dress that she was complaining about on the IG stories. I don't know if y'all missed that, but this was like hilarious to me. Doja Cat was invited to Victoria's Secret. She was definitely paid to go. And she was definitely paid to wear this dress that they put her in. And literally after the event, she went on her stories and posted on IG and posted four consecutive stories about how much she hated that dress and how uncomfortable it was. And because she's Doja Cat, she is a poetess, um, the things she said were really funny. But she ended up deleting those stories, I think, because her management was like, you are going to 
get denied the paycheck if you don't take down these stories. She made a joke about how she was going to feed her dress to the moths, which makes me think that she was allowed to keep the dress. For when I was invited to Dior last year, I got to keep one outfit. They sent me a bunch of different ones to choose from because I was flying in from New York and I literally flew in like the day of the show. So I got like no sleep. That's fine. Anything for Dior. I think the general protocol is you go to their showroom. If they don't have a showroom in the city, they'll usually book out like a penthouse suite in a hotel and you go to that hotel room to get fitted um, and you leave with your outfit. Dior said I could keep one outfit, so I did, obviously, um, but they wanted me to return the rest. So a courier came to the hotel and picked it up um, at the end of the week. I wish influencers were more transparent about this whole borrowing scheme because I think a lot of them aren't because it feeds into this aspirational lifestyle that they're trying to create for their audience and saying that you have to give back your clothes is not like super glamorous or even admitting that you are probably wearing the exact same clothes as someone else who worked with the brand like a month ago because they do have like a certain selection that they use for um, loaning out. So if you see the same dress on different nights, it's probably the same dress, <laughs> literally the same dress. You also don't get free reign over the entire collection or the archive. If you're very special, if you're a very special friend of the brand, um, you'll get to wear the new collection to the show that it's premiering in. So for example, Kylie Jenner, she wore a Scaparelli dress that was debuting at the Couture Scaparelli show. But most of the time you'll get a lookbook from selections from just the previous season or the previous two seasons. And there's only going to be a couple looks you can choose from, and they're going to be only available in specific sizes. The system is also very much first come, first serve. So if you don't put in your selects at the beginning, the selection available will dwindle down because they only have like one or two or three of every piece. Okay, what was I even talking about? You know what? I've been talking for like almost an hour now and I really just like need to wrap this up somehow because I just keep talking. Y'all, I love to talk. And that's why I've been flopping the TikTok game because I just, yeah, 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 yeah. And then um, the time timer runs out. They're like, oh, you've surpassed three minutes. Time to uh, delete your account. Not really. But okay, the one question that I really wanted to address today, which I kind of did, but circled around multiple times is do influencers deserve a space at Fashion Week? Do they deserve to go to Fashion Week? And does their presence ruin Fashion Week? My hot take or my cold take, honestly, my just my neutral take is that I think having influencers at Fashion Week is positive in the sense that it democratizes the industry in a way. I think of myself, so obviously like my perspective is skewed, but if I had worked my way up in the fashion industry, you know, starting off at that styling internship, that god-awful styling internship, and then trying to make it, I don't know if I would ever have made it. I don't think I would ever probably sit front row. So I think by allowing people to enter the fashion industry through different pathways, it does democratize the industry and it does kind of like take out some of the elitism in it. The fashion industry is notoriously very white, very thin, very able-bodied. There's not a lot of space for people of color, for marginalized groups, for people with disabilities. 
for people of different identities. Like there are definitely some people out there that are representing, but for the most part, the fashion industry is very white and very thin. And also men hold all like the top positions of power, even though you would think that fashion is like a woman field. In reality, it's not. It's a very image-based industry. And so that's why I really like to see some influencers who don't fit necessarily this kind of stereotypical mold be able to get a seat front row at a show because these are opportunities that would not be afforded to them even if they so-called like hustled their way the old-fashioned route. What I don't like about influencers being at Fashion Week is that a lot of them do not care about fashion. I'm not saying like they have bad personal style. I think that's like a totally different conversation and style is subjective anyway. Um, but I, I'm talking about people who sit at these shows and they don't care about the collections. They're on their phones. Um, I had a friend who was sitting at a show and was like, this person next to me went to Helmut Lang and didn't know who that was and said they like didn't like the collection and they didn't care. I don't think you need to know everything about fashion to be able to sit at Fashion Week or to go to Fashion Week events because how else are you going to learn about fashion um, if it's going to be gatekept from you continuously? But there are definitely some people who only look for the photographic moments of Fashion Week. They're only looking to show that they're there, but they're not really enjoying their time. And at that, at that point, it's like, why go? Or just go to the event, go to the nightlife event, um, I think most of the hate towards fashion influencers comes from people who work in the industry or from students who are not yet in the industry but really want to be in the industry. Um, and a lot of it is just because these influencers seemingly get a shortcut. They get to skip the line and then they don't even have the appreciation for what they're waiting in line for. <laughs> it's frustrating for sure. Um, but what I do think is like I don't think we can say just from looking at someone – and thinking that they don't deserve to be here because of the way that they're dressed. Um, I don't think that's fair at all. But a lot of influencers also have a lack of decorum. Like they're really rude. They're really entitled. Maybe because they feel like they've been chosen by God to have a platform. Who knows? I don't know what <laughs> is the reason for entitlement. But that is really annoying um, from anyone. And then I also think that a lot of like events out there are catering to influencers. In the sense that they're trying to make everything into a photo op which feels tacky and cringe a lot of the times for people who don't care about that type of stuff. It feels like it cheapens what we're all there for, which is to look at these beautiful fashion collections. So are influencers ruining Fashion Week circling back? I don't think we can say yes or no. The conversations I have with my friends in the heat of the moment are gonna be different than my PR-fied answer, but I think it's just the game, the whole system that's fucked, right? Like, influencers... I think are not doing anything that terrible themselves. It's more like the way that the industry is catering around them that feels terrible. Another thing though is like people never say are celebrities ruining fashion week, even though a lot of celebrities who do go are not necessarily interested in fashion either. And honestly, a lot of the times that I've seen celebrities sitting at these shows, they look really bored and really annoyed that they have to be there. And they're probably getting paid to be there. So that's like even more frustrating to see that they're annoyed. But I think our general consensus towards celebrities is that they are the ones who are actually chosen by God <laughs> um, because they have some kind of talent or skill. It doesn't have to be fashion related, but they have something and 
there's this idea that they are in a class above us, whereas influencers feel like they are in the same class as everyone else, but they've just somehow risen above, which I think feels uncomfortable for a lot of people because they're like, oh, that could have been me. Or why were they chosen? They haven't done anything special. They're just a regular person. That's the smoke and mirrors of celebrity culture too, though. Like everyone is really just a person and some people luck out. But I don't know, maybe another reason why people aren't as upset with like celebrity culture and everything around Fashion Week is that because a lot of celebrities don't go to Fashion Week anymore. I saw this TikTok where someone was saying that celebrities have been opting to go to the US Open instead. And even an influencer like Alex Earl, who is really popular and therefore, you know, quote unquote, better than other influencers. Even she's decided to tap out of Fashion Week and just attend the US Open. But my question is, did these people tap out of Fashion Week because Fashion Week is quote unquote lame or because they just never really cared that much about fashion to begin with? Like they prefer tennis. I think the issue with a lot of people in fashion, and myself included for a long time, is that we really see the fashion industry as like this holy ground, like this mecca that we're pilgrimaging to every six months. When for someone who has made a living in another way, they probably don't see Fashion Week as that interesting because at the core, Fashion Week is about showcasing new designers. And if you have a stylist or you just don't really care about dressing up in a interesting or trendy way, then what would make you want to go unless you are getting a paycheck for it as a celebrity? I think Fashion Week is unfortunately getting like the Coachella curse in a way where, you know, everyone, every time Coachella happens, people are like, fashion influencers are ruining Coachella. Coachella is not about the music anymore. And I really wonder if anything will change because if I'm seeing this kind of influencer fatigue towards like multiple industries, like something's got to give, right? Like this can't be a marketing model that continues working unless it does. I'm not someone who's in analytics. I don't know if people do pay attention more to fashion week because of the kind of like influencer coverage that they're seeing. Who's to say, um, if you have an opinion about it, send me an email and I'll read them out next week. My email is (laughs) hirobimina at gmail.com. I would really love to hear what you all have to say about it because I think as someone who is in the fashion industry space, my perception of the power of Fashion Week, it has been skewed. But I think in general, like influencers are just an oversaturated market and there is like a fatigue associated with seeing so much influencer type of stuff. So yeah, that's uh, my Fashion Week thoughts. I'm tapping out for the rest of the week because I'm sick and also because I'm tired. And I really want to enjoy my vacation coming up and not be like completely no sleep, red-eyed and crazy when I see my friends. I'm going to Idaho, by the way. I've mentioned this before. That's how excited I am about it. Um, I'm going to Sun Valley, Idaho. And one of my friends just bought a house in Idaho. And another one of my friends has a baby. These are like my well-adjusted adult friends. And I'm really excited to just be around that kind of energy and just sit in grass and uh, sing Cheryl Crow or whatever. All right. Thanks for listening to me, everyone. I hope you have a lovely rest of your day. I'll catch you soon. Stay hydrated. Love ya. If you want to keep up with the Highbrow Podcast, you can follow the Instagram, which is highbrow.pod. This episode was edited by Sophie Carter, music by Olivia Martinez, and cover art by Lindsay Mintz. Mm-hmm.